the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report, where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. And when culture is changing as much as it is right now, it really helps to have a historical perspective against which to measure. But so often we are historically illiterate. We, we don't know history well enough to understand whether or not what we're living through right now is indeed unprecedented. We hear that word thrown around so much, but are we really living through unprecedented times? We bring you a guest today that can help put so many of these things in perspective and glad that you could join us. My name is Jeremy Stonelicker. I'm here with Chad Robichaux and our special guest today is David Barton. If you're not familiar with David Barton, you need to be. David is and has been called America's historian. He is a prolific author, the founder of Wall Builders. I'll read the description of Wall Builders. You need to know what they do. They are an organization dedicated to presenting America's forgotten history and heroes with an emphasis on the moral, religious, and constitutional foundation on which America was built. In addition to all of those things, uh, David is on the Board of Advisors for the Mighty Oaks Foundation, the organization that Chad and I represent, and uh, has just been a great friend to us, and always a privilege to be able to speak to you, David. Thank you for taking some time to join us today. Hey, love being with you guys. Thanks. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I want to jump right into this and, and let you go as, as long and as deep as you want to. If we had a name for this show, I would call it a situation report on the State of the Union. I like it because it's catchy, uh, but also because uh, in many regards, that's what we need right now. I think we need a real situation report on the state of our union. And you, as someone who uh, has studied and continues to study history and uh, you know, is able to put so much of this in context, when you look back and, and try to gain an historical perspective on what we're going through, uh, where would you say that we are as a nation right now in, in a historical context? Um, you've already covered the fact that nothing is really new under the sun. This is stuff we've been through before. So there's several things I can look at. Uh, one is we're par- probably more polarized as a nation now than we've been at any time since 1856. You have to go back more than 150 years to find a, find a time we were this polarized. But then you also throw in a medical pandemic. Um, you know, this is kind of unprecedented only if you've been alive today. If right. you know American history, we've, we've had a medical pandemic on average one of every 15 years for the last 400 years. One so, every 15 years. About every 15 years. What, wow. what you get is, for example, right now, the mortality rate of the COVID pandemic right now is sitting at four one hundredths of 1%. Now, we've shut down the nation. We've shut down the states. We've shut down the economy. We've shut down churches. We've shut down business. We've shut it all down, and our mortality rate is four one hundredths of 1%. Yeah, wow. If I take you back to the smallpox epidemics in the 1600s, the mortality rate was 70%. So that 70%, would be like seventy wow. percent. That'd be like two hundred and forty million Americans would be dead right now Incredible. if it was the same thing. Um, if you take the the city that has the highest mortality 
quality rate in New York City. Instead of having four one-hundredths, they were at four-tenths of one percent. They're ten times higher than the rest of the nation. But if I take you back to 1793 to Philadelphia, the mortality rate in Philadelphia for the yellow fever epidemic was 25%. So we're looking at essentially somewhere three to four million would be that in New York City. Wow. So this is not this is not that big of a deal. It's new for this generation, but it's not new in history. Uh, if you go back, we, we've had four different pandemics of flu. If you go back to the Spanish flu of 1918, we had ha- half the population in America back then, 675,000 died uh, between somewhere between 40 and 60 million died across the world. So it's it's like this is not anywhere close to even the 1918 pandemic. And if you take the 1957 Asia flu pandemic, there was a higher mortality rate there than there is now. We didn't shut down the, the nation over that. And even here, as I said here in Texas, COVID is the 14th leading cause of death in Texas. <laughs> well, you're twice as likely in Texas to die from septicemia as you are from COVID. <laughs> and nobody even knows what septicemia is. No idea. Nor, nor have we shut down the state over septicemia. Right. <laughs> septicemia is getting scratched and getting blood poison from being scratched. Wow. Uh, you know, a young person is more likely to die from a lightning strike than from COVID. And we're running around with all this fear and phobia and, and whatnot, like like this is something brand new. This is not new. Uh, it's just that we don't we don't know how we've handled it before. We know very little about our history. And that kind of leads to the other thing. When you get into the statues and the cancel culture and what's happening, uh, the only way this is possible is if you have absolute, complete historical ignorance of the statues you're tearing down. Um, you know, supposedly this is about race and racism, and so Confederate statues. Well, all right, Confederate statues, then why did you tear down the Union statue uh, of the Union soldiers and sailors in Cleveland? And why did you tear down uh, Union Admiral Farragut? And why did you tear down Union Ulysses S. Grant? And why are you tearing down all the Union guys if this is about racism? And by the way, while we're at it, why are you tearing down all the Christian guys and all the various missionary statues, particularly Catholic missionaries? I mean, none of it makes sense except they have no clue who these guys are, and they're assuming that if there's a statue to you, you were built on racism, you're a racist, and you have to come down, even if it's someone who's a noted abolitionist. I mean, they're even tearing them down thinking they're racist. So I I think what's unprecedented right now is we've never been so historically ignorant in our Mm -hmm. life is where we are right now, and therefore we're putting up with stuff we would not have put up with even 10 years ago because we knew better. Yeah. Yeah, I was just just at a speaking event last night with a – and one of the questions that I got afterward was about the school curriculum and uh, and how we're experiencing the fruition of all these this this generation of those who have been robbed of, of his history in our education. And this guy was a former school teacher, and he was asking just what's the future of that. And I said, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I said well, I know someone who does. David Barton uh, is is really just you know to me you're one of the leaders on this and and knowing what has been taken out of our school system and our education system, what has been put into our education system. And I think what we're seeing right now in communities, uh, I say, or may, mainly inner cities across America, is just in this civil unrest is people who are rioting and looting in the name of, in the name of some type of justice because they believe, and I think some of them truly do believe, and I think many of them are just misled, but they truly believe that our country is founded on principles that are not fair across the board and, uh, and, and make it not, uh, not possible for certain groups of people to better their lives. And uh, so beyond the memes and the headlines, what's the, what's the truth behind this idea that's being, uh, that's just like 
con seems contagious amongst us, especially amongst our youth, that somehow this country is not fair and was founded on unfair principles. You know, let's let's take the let me go backward from that question, Chad, uh, because the 1619 project done by the New York Times is the basis of much of that allegation. And this is a curriculum being used in all 50 states, uh, schools, all 50 states. And the 1619 project asserts that everything that has caused America to be exceptional, and we hear the term American exceptionalism, that was a term that we were given back in 1831 by Alexis de Tocqueville, the French writer who came here and wrote the book Democracy in America. Um, but we are a, a unique nation. We're the most stable nation in the history of the world. Um, we've had our Constitution 233 years. The average length of a Constitution in the history of the world is 17 years. So we have not had a new Constitution every 17 years. We've had one for 233. Nobody's been that stable. Um, we have more creativity. We're 4% of the world's population, and yet we have produced more creative output than the other 96% of the world when you measure by um, different measurements like copyright, patent protection, et cetera. So we're the most creative nation by far. Uh, we are the most um, productive nation. We have 4% of the world's population. Every year we produce 25% of the world's GDP. Uh, we have the, the wealthiest population as a whole in America. Uh, the Census Bureau says that if you live below the poverty level in America, your lifestyle is higher than middle class in Europe. So grab that. If you're in poverty in America, you're living higher than the middle class in Europe. Wow. So uh, let's go all, all through all that. that that's what those are the stats that cause people to say America is a unique, exceptional nation. All right. The New York Times 1619 project says everything that made America exceptional was built on racism. So let's just think about everything I just said. Our creativity is only there because of racism. Our stability is only there because of racism. Our prosperity is only there because of racism. If I oppose racism, then I have to get rid of our creativity, our stability, our prosperity. I have to get rid of everything because it's all been built from racism. Therefore, the constitutional system has to go. The economic system, the free market system has to go. We've got to get something different like socialism. All of this came as a result of racism. I oppose racism, so all of this has to go. So what you're looking at is a premise that says everything that we experience that's good in America came about because of racism and we oppose racism we have to fight racism so we have to provide we have to fight everything racism produced so that's why you're seeing the marxist kind of element of violence come out with this stuff uh is we have to overthrow the system now here's the thing what if that premise is wrong what if the premise is wrong that it was all built on racism what if i can show you that that the premise of 1619 is faulty then do you still want to destroy the nation that if, if it's not the result of racism then do you want do you want to get rid of the stability we have do you want to get rid of the prosperity we have do you want to get rid of that level of lifestyle that we've come to enjoy if it's built on something that that the, the claim is false and, and that's where the question is and so right now because we know so little about our own kind and I'll just great give a great example one of the reasons that the stuff with COVID that we're seeing what we're seeing with governors and with mayors yeah. is most Americans have no idea what their constitutional rights are. Um, you're, you're talking only one in 1,000 Americans can name the five freedoms in the First Amendment. Well, if you don't know what they are, you don't know when they're being violated because you know what your freedoms are, hmm. which is right, why right now we've got hundreds of lawsuits across the nation 
defending constitutional freedoms that mayors and governors have put under scrutiny, under attack. Uh, we've seen not only the First Amendment, but we've seen the Second Amendment come under attack, the Third Amendment, the Fourth or the Eighth Amendments, and Americans aren't defending their freedoms because they don't know what they are. Uh, quite frankly, we have only 24% of the nation who even knows what the three branches of government are, which is why you can have a mayor in California that says, I told you not to have meetings in your house. I'm going to come in and shut down the electricity, and I'm going to throw you in jail. And Now, wait a minute. We have three branches of government. One makes the policies, one enforces the policies, and one penalizes the policies. A mayor can't do all three. That violates the Republican form of government in our Constitution. But nobody's stopping mayors from enforcing the law and making the law and de issuing decrees because they don't know what the Constitution says. Even 48% of elected officials cannot name the three branches of government. So we're at a point of ignorance to such a degree that we're allowing the country to be reshaped over things that are falsehoods, but we don't know how to how to defend that, if that makes sense. And so that that's the problem we face right now all across the country. Right. Uh, what, good. Go I was going to say, you mentioned racism, and, and uh, it, obviously I, I have my opinion, know my answer. I don't believe uh, for one bit that Americans are racist, uh, that it's institutionally racist. I mean, we're, we're in a country where we've had a, uh, you know, black Americans sit in every seat of government and leadership in our country, including the president of the United States uh, with, you know, President Barack Obama. But what do you say to people that believe that America is racist? Is racist? Is America, is, I guess the question is, is America a racist country? I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Well, for the way I kind of lead in that direction, and a lot of young people have heard this, and a lot of Americans have as well, is do you think that racism is a sin? Mm -hmm. And I have not had anyone yet who doesn't think racism is a sin. Okay, if racism is a sin, next question is, can a sin be relevant only to one race? In other words, if racism right. is a sin, are only whites guilty of that sin? Do we have sins that only apply to whites or only apply to blacks or Hispanics or Asians? No. Sin applies to all people. So if it's a sin, it is a human problem. It's not a racial problem in that sense. Now, it involves races, but there is not a single people in history that you cannot find 
that was not one time a slave owner and one time a slave. And that's every single people you want to mention. That's white people. That's black people. That's brown people. That's red people. That's everyone. Every one of them in their, in their past has a history of being both slave owner and being slave. So across the board. So if you want to talk about racism, let's go to Rwanda. Just 10 years ago, what, a million people got killed? It was blacks on blacks, but it was racism because one tribe of blacks didn't like the other tribe of blacks. And so they were trying to exterminate the other tribe because it was the wrong race, but they were both black. So when you look at the story of it, you you go to uh, we we had U.S. Senator Tim Kaine stand on the floor of the Senate and said America did not inherit slavery. America invented slavery. Oh, my gosh. What do you do with the 30 percent of the Greek uh, empire that was slave and 40 percent of the Roman empire that was slave? When Columbus landed in America, between 20 and 40 percent of Native Americans enslaved each other. I mean, that that was not Columbus who brought slavery. They were already enslaved here. Um, If you take what are you going to do with the Hebrew story, the Hebrews in the Bible? I mean, the whole story of Exodus is getting out of slavery, Egyptian slavery. So to, to think that slavery is a purely American problem, that's nonsense. Now, you get more specific, you say, okay, so they call it the 1619 Project because they say that's when slavery started in America, 1619. Well, actually, in 1619, the English ship captured a Portuguese slave ship off the coast of, of Virginia. They brought those slaves to shore. But what happened when they got to shore, they were not made slaves. They were made indentured servants. And seven years later, the state gave them all land, and they were all freed and became landowners. So they were freed. That's not the beginning of slavery. Well, when did slavery get started in America? Well, it wasn't 1619. It was 1654 because one of the indentured servants, a guy named Andrew Johnson, became very prosperous, wealthy. He had 250 acres. He's a black man. He started sponsoring other people to come. And one of the guys he sponsored to come, and and the deal is – Um, I guess the way to explain this is we've got this new space program out there, private vehicles going to Mars and moon and whatnot. And, and you can, you know, for a million dollars, you can get a seat on a space vehicle going to another planet. Well, I want to go really bad, but I don't have a million dollars, but I think I'm worth about $50,000 a year in my income. And so here's what I'll do. If you'll pay for my trip to the moon, I'll work 20 years for you and give you all my income for 20 years. I'll be collateral on that loan. Forgive me a loan of a million bucks. That's what an indentured servant was. I, as I don't have enough money to get to the new world, but I want to own land. If you'll get me over there, I'll work for you for seven years. I'll be collateral on my own loan. I'll work for you seven years. And then after that, I get land and I get to be free and, and have my own stuff. So Anthony Johnson was the guy who had done this, and he started sponsoring people to come. They would work for him seven years. One of the guys working for him was a black guy. And that black guy, Anthony Johnson, went to court and said, this guy is so lazy. He's so incompetent. He's so worthless. I want you to let me own him from life because in seven years, he'll never pay off what I've invested in him. Let me own the guy for life. And the court said, okay, you can. That's the first occasion of slavery in America, 1654, and it's a black man who sued to own another black man. So it's, it's not the white stuff that we're hearing, the white on black. Now, why I don't black slavery definitely occurred. That was a big part of it. But, you know, even when you go to someone like Carter Woodson, who's the father of black history, he did a book in the 1930s looking at the 1830 census, and he showed that in America, in South Carolina, 43% of free blacks in South Carolina owned black slaves. 40% of free blacks in Louisiana owned black slaves. The ownership of black on black slavery is higher than it was of white on black slavery. Now, it doesn't mean there were more black slaves to blacks. It just means the ownership was higher. However, when you get to 1816 at the time of the Civil War and you look at the census, the five major Indian tribes in America, 
12% of all those five major Indian tribes were black slaves. The highest percentage owner of black slaves in America were Native Americans. And by the way, when the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in 1865, it did not abolish slavery on the Indian reservations because they're different nations, they're foreign nations. So slavery continued after 1865, black slavery on Indian reservations. So overall, 8% of Americans were slaves. So 92% of Americans didn't have slaves. But when you go to black-on-black -black slavery, the percentage is higher. You go to Native American slavery, it's higher. Um, when you look at the 16th century, for example, there were more white slaves than there were black slaves in the 16th century. When you look at the first slavery law in America, 1671, it allowed you to own white slaves, black slaves, or Indian slaves. I mean, so, yeah, white-on-black slavery was a part of it, but that's not the whole story. And, and by the way, we're just talking about the part of the, the country that had slavery. Let's talk about the part of the country who did not have slavery, because everybody thinks that America was like Georgia or like South Carolina. No. In 1780, as soon as, as, as uh, a number of the colonies became free from Great Britain, they abolished slavery throughout the North. By 1804, there was not any northern state that had slavery. There was no other nation in the world that had abolished slavery by 1804 except those states in America. We were way ahead. Uh, five states up there. There was, never was a time when blacks could not vote. In, in states like New Hampshire and in states like Rhode Island and, and in states like Massachusetts, we had blacks elected to office in the 1760s in early America, all the way through, you know, generations there. We were electing blacks to office. So all kids get today is a southern view of slavery from the Confederate time as if that's the whole story of America. And it's absolutely not the story of America. And that's that's the problem we're fighting today is, uh, look, we fight, we want racism to be gone. And by the way, here's the other thing that's kind of fun to me is – uh, when you look at the slave trade coming to America and Africa, um, between, 18, between 1501 and 1875, there were 12.7 million Africans taken out of Africa in slavery. We had professors this last week telling kids that all 12.7 million came to America. Time out. 43% went to Portugal and Brazil. 26% went to Great Britain's holdings. 11% went, went to French holdings. Uh, you, you go through, America only got 2.5% of, of the slaves that came out of Africa. Now, that we were one of the least receiving nations. Now, doesn't mean slavery is right. We had 300 slaves came here, shouldn't have come here, but we didn't get 12.7 million. So how come America is being blamed for the entire African slave trade why not the 43% that went to Portugal and Brazil as opposed to the 2.5% that went to America? Why are we focused on that alone? And by the way, if slavery is an issue, then let's talk about the 94 nations at the United Nations right now that still have not criminalized slavery at this day. Let's talk about the 40 million people in the world right now that are suffering in slavery, legitimate slavery, 9.2 million in Africa right now. Let's talk about that no, what we're going to talk about is America for the last 300 years, instead of the 40 million in slavery right now, instead of the 94, instead of the 94 nations who haven't made it a criminal penalty. See, this is the problem with the narrative right now, is we are completely ignorant of most facts around slavery, where it is globally, where it is everywhere else, and we're letting a bunch of professors and media guys create a story that is really not true and not accurate. 
So with all of that, and I think I know your answer to this because you just kind of gave it, but what is, or how does one maintain a balanced view of current events using history? And, I, and you just laid that out so well for us. Um, but someone like me, someone who's not a historian, doesn't spend every day thinking about these things, what do I do? What do I teach my kids to do so they can see current events accurately in light of many yeah. of the facts you just stated and so many others? Um, you know, as it turns out, for the last three years, uh, Tim and I, my son Tim, who runs Wall Builders, we've been working on a, on a book that came out this week, and it's called The American Story. And as it turns out, it's exactly dealing with all the stuff on statues and race and culture and et cetera. And it goes back through the story of things we've been talking about. Uh, if most Americans knew the story of all of our black heroes in the American founding, they, they think the American Revolution was a bunch of white guys who got together. Oh, my gosh, no. It was white guys. It was black guys. It was Christians. It was Jews. It was men. It was women. It was Native Americans. It was Hispanics. We had more than 20 different foreign nations fighting with us uh, in the revolution. There's a, a famous uh, portrait that went across Europe of George Washington with all of the foreign military generals that were serving in the American Revolution. See, all, all people know today about the American Revolution is a bunch of white guys rebelled against Great Britain and <laughs> right. did slavery. No, 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 no. If, if you knew the story of Jack Sisson, I would argue that he's the first, first SEAL Team 6 member. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the deal that he did in 1778 ought to be a movie anywhere. This black guy what he did to capture the second command of the british and have a prisoner exchange to get our second command back from the british it was the most daring rescue ever and it's not covered or, or the fact that george washington points to a black guy james armistead and said this black man is the reason that the revolution ended when it did but not been for what this first black man did first double spy in american history wow. so you got the commander-in-chief pointing out black dudes like that we've never heard their story before and so what we do in the American story is we show the story of America, and it's not a white story. It has whites, but it also has blacks, it has yeah. women, it has Jews, it has Christians, it has everybody. Yeah. And so that's the starting place is, hey, humankind is, is what makes anything special. And if you're looking at a story that only has whites in it, then somebody who's telling you that story knows nothing about the story. So that's the first premise. The second premise is there is nothing new under the sun except technology. Hmm. Uh, all the principles are the same. All the issues are the same. We were dealing with abortion 200 years ago. The founding fathers passed laws against abortion. They had George Washington had stuff on homosexuals and military. I mean, we think what we're facing in this generation is the first time ever. It's not. And so the, the starting place is, Human nature doesn't change over time unless a redeemer intervenes to change the heart of someone and then that moves the nation in an upward direction. Yeah. So the story of history, you, you start with everybody needs a redeemer. Everybody's jacked up and needs a savior. And if you don't have that, you're going to have bad history. Yeah. So if you, you start with that premise, you look for where God intervened and where people were listening to God. And if you want to point out every good thing that's happened to end slavery in America, everything that ended racism was because Christians stepped to the front and led the way. They were the chief abolitionists. They were the chief civil rights guys. They were the guys who passed the civil rights laws in Reconstruction. I mean, it was Christians who did that. So those are the lessons you learn from history, and you just have to get a, a parameter of bound. It's like playing football. You need to know what the boundaries are. Yeah, and and yeah. the boundaries are that everybody is jacked up, everybody needs a Savior, and if you get a Savior involved, you'll have a lot of good things to talk about. If you don't, you're going to have a lot of bad things to talk about. Yeah. And if you can start looking at history from that standpoint, 
then you see a whole different view of history. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, last question. I think you answered it, but or or, or should we be hopeful? Are you hopeful uh, moving forward? And what do we do to, to maintain hope? I tell you, um, I'm more hopeful than I've been in a long time. Part of the reason is that we deal with 18 to 25 year olds throughout the summer when they're out of school. We get college kids in. I've never seen kids respond as well to truth. Most of them have not heard truth, but when they get truth, they become warriors. Every single year we've done these classes, we see kids go back and convert their professors. They learn how to ask questions of their professors, and suddenly their professors don't know how to answer basic historical (laughs) questions when they look up the information. It's not what they were taught. So I'm excited over the kids, how much warriors they become when they get the right information, how willing they are to accept truth once they see it. But the polling, I mean, this this week, I, I have listened to the media and watched all the stuff the last several weeks, and I've seen a polarized nation. I see 90 days of riots in Portland. I see all this stuff going across the country. I see what governors are doing. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, America's sitting on the brink. And then I get polling like I got yesterday that all this stuff about take, defunding the police is because we got to defund the police because they're so racist, and we have to protect blacks by defunding the police. And then I get polling yesterday the group in America that most does not want to defund the police is the black community. 80, now, 82%, right? I, that's 80, right, 81%. 80, 81%. 81% think there should be more police in black communities. That's not the narrative I'm hearing. No. And, and then I, I find that, eight, uh, that 79% think that the founding fathers should be venerated and the Declaration of Independence is not a racist document. Well, that's what I've been hearing from 1619 is the Declaration's racist. Yeah. America was built on a lie. Seventy-nine percent of Americans say that it's not. Only ten percent of Americans want to tear down the statues. Eighty-four percent think all statues ought to be left. I see numbers like that, and I'm going, "Oh my gosh!" What I'm hearing on the news is like a fifty-fifty split. But what I'm seeing in the polling, America's a lot healthier than I thought they yeah. were. The trick is, will they step up? Because we do. We did see last week that seventy-seven percent of average normal Americans feel like they can't speak out for being attacked. And if that group doesn't stand up and get some backbone, get a little courage and be willing to say some things that are true, then this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But Mm -hmm. I'm just really encouraged that there are so many who believe the right thing. They're just silent right now. And if we can get them to start talking to their friends and neighbors and doing social media posts, et cetera, I think we turn this around. Yeah. They, they've been shamed to be. They've been shamed by the media That's right. and by the left to be silent. And you called every name in the book. You called racist, bigot, xenophobic, everything that you're not, in order to, to silence them and to shame them into submission. And people have 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 bought it. But I think if there's a silver lining in all this, uh, that there's a. I said this recently that, uh, with Jeremy. That there's a, just a patriotic awakening in our country, right. and people will stand up and speak up and do the right thing. And uh, I mean, there's. A, you know, I know you said this isn't an unprecedented time, but it is a critical time, and it's time yeah. for Americans to stand up. Well, I, I tell you, Chad, the other thing I'm seeing right now is a defense of the Constitution like I've not seen in my lifetime. As a result of what's happening with COVID, just since last February, we've had 2,500 pieces of state legislation introduced against COVID overreach trying to defend the Constitution trying to defend constitutional rights. I've not seen a movement to defend the Constitution like this in my lifetime. Yeah. And I'm seeing people step up. I'm seeing sheriffs step up. I'm seeing lots of people step up. I think it's really, it's really a good wake-up call if we keep responding the right way. I see positive things definitely happening. Outstanding, yeah. David, it's always great to talk to you. Where can people uh, learn more about you and, and wall builders and the work that you guys do? I would say wallbuilders.com is the easiest place to go. 
And I would encourage them to get that book, The American Story, um, because now's the time they need to know the, the other side of what they're That's hearing right. on 1619 and everything else. That'll let them push back and do their own social media posts and, and, and start churning the tide. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, David, as always. Always a privilege. Yeah. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Man. Appreciate all you guys do at Mighty Oaks. Bless y'all. Yes, God sir. bless you, man. David Barton has such a great perspective on all times, but particularly the time we're living through right now. Uh, history puts everything in its right context. A couple of takeaways as we conclude our show today. This is your Situation Report. The first point that I want to make, I think that really is the takeaway from this show, is very, very simple. Americans are largely historically illiterate, meaning simply Americans don't know their own history. And because we don't know our own history, we don't understand where we have come from, we cannot clearly see where we are right now. And that leads us to the second point. And again, these are very, very important. They work together. The second part of the situation report is this. We need to become historically literate. We need to understand that the American story is not a white story or a black story or an Indian story or an anything else story. The American story, the story that we're all living, is an everyone's story. It is all nationalities, it is all races, it is both genders that make up the American story. And when we understand that, putting that in its historical context, everything begins to become clear. And finally, and I love this answer from uh, David, that there is hope because of the generation that is coming up right now. Young people who are learning their history and taking that back to their schools and their communities and really putting in their own context what they're living through understanding history. And if we'll do that, if those who are coming up behind us will do that, then there is great hope for America. And that is your Situation Report. Great show today, as always. Great show. Love listening to David. Yeah, I could listen to him forever, kind of pull his string and just let him (laughs) go. just get out of the way. Yeah. Let him talk. But a lot of good things there, and uh, I hope that you will consider the American story as you consider the events that we're living through right now and understand that there is hope. We'll see you next time. See you next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 